I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. When we think about enhancing our emotional lives with music, we tend to think about ways music can put us in a positive frame of mind. But music has been called the sound of emotions, and I think we've all had that experience of feeling sad emotions, whether because of a breakup or some other reason, and wanting some really sad music to go along with the experience. It kind of primes the pump for all those negative emotions, which somehow feels really good. My guest today is going to help us untangle this paradox a bit. Dr. Kimberly Sana Moore is a board-certified music therapist whose research focuses on emotion regulation development. She is on the music therapy faculty at the University of Miami's Frost School of Music. In this role, she oversees the clinical training for all undergraduate and graduate music therapy students, teaches courses, and supervises graduate student research. Dr. Senamore has presented extensively at regional, national, and international conferences. Her research has been published in scholarly journals, including the Journal of Music Therapy and Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. Her research has also been featured in media outlets, including Psychology Today, Red Book, and Cure. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Kimberly. Well, thank you so much, Mindy. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you having me. Kimberly, we all know the phrase, it hurts so good. I'm usually talking about a massage when I use this phrase, but it also perfectly describes that experience of music perpetuating our negative emotions while somehow making us feel better at the same time. I am guessing there's several different factors and threads that are at play in this paradox. Can you tell us what some of them are? Uh, I certainly can. And, and I got to say, Mindy, when you brought up the idea of a massage, it's been over a year since I've oh. had a massage. And so now I'm like, oh, that, and who knows when, when that'll happen again. Yes, I feel your pain. Um. Love those massages. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I know what you mean there. And I certainly also know uh, what that means musically. And it and it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so music's role and kind of influence on our emotions and musical emotions in general is a complex issue. And and regardless of the, the type of feeling state, there are different factors and threads involved. Now, if we're, we're going to keep it on this idea of, you know, music's ability to both kind of help us be in this uh, kind of a more negatively valenced emotional state, which also f- helps us feel better. I mean, part of that is the release of it, right? So mm-hmm. when we're in that feeling state um, that that is more negatively valenced, whether it's sad, whether it's angry, um, th- there's kind of a process that has to happen to work through that and and really to get through it and get to that, a more state of, of homeostasis, which does feel better. Feel better doesn't necessarily mean that you shift from sad to happy. Yeah. It often just means that, hey, I've returned to the state of, of homeostasis, to what to what typical is. Mm. Um, and so music has this really incredible ability to enhance, intensify, deepen, shorten, extend our emotional experiences. Right. And think about that. That's that's how emotions work in general and, and specifically how the regulation of our emotions work. 
we regulate our, our emotions through controlling and managing them. And sometimes that management is to extend the emotional experience, or sometimes it's to shorten it, or sometimes it's to increase the intensity or diminish the intensity. Uh-huh. Um, and music is has this really incredible way to almost, I, I guess, I should, can I say even supercharge that ability? Sure. And, and it kind of can do that for us, right? Where we don't have to actively think about or try to, you know, almost actively manage our emotions, the music can guide us through that. Mm. Um, and so, so it, it can do this in, in several different ways. Um, one is maybe with our association with the music. I mean, we, we certainly, you know, many people, I can't say everyone, but many people have those certain songs that are your go-to songs. Mm. And they can be your go-to songs when you just need a good cry or when you need to get out some kind of aggressive energy or when you need to pump yourself up and motivate you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of have these go-to songs that we go to and and sometimes we may initially like them because of how they're structured, because of their rhythm or the style or the artist. But with practice and over time, we go to them because we have a certain connection or association Mm -hmm. between that particular song and how it makes us feel. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you talk to us about any kind of neurochemical factors that are going on in terms of prolactin or or anything that's affected by this situation of crying with music or feeling sad and listening to music? Well, certainly what we do know from music neuroscience studies is that music impacts the same neural structures and areas that are involved in emotion processing. And we're still unpacking exactly how that happens or exactly what's at play for a certain emotional experience and a certain musical experience and the connection between them. Most of the studies thus far have have looked at, say, when it comes to neurochemicals, music and the reward system, uh, and in particular, the release of dopamine, which is a kind of feel-good chemical. Mm-hmm. And dopamine is also involved in learning. And so I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a music therapist. And think of it, a, a lot of what is involved in therapy is learning and relearning, right? And so dopamine is involved in that process. Dopamine is implicated in neuroplasticity, which describes how our brain changes based on learning and experience. Uh, And so when it comes to music, and I'm kind of venturing outside of emotions a little bit here, but the idea is that music does release some of these same kind of neurohormones and neurochemicals involved in other tasks, including dopamine. Uh, We also know that music impacts some of the emotion, general emotion processing areas, which include, say, kind of the anterior cingulate cortex and the amygdala. And I talked earlier about how we may have an association with a a certain musical piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And that brings in the hippocampus, which which is implicated in learning and memory function. Mm. Um, And so we can't, it's not quite as simple as, well, you listen to music and, you know, this will release and this will happen. There's a lot of complexities involved and and a lot of it this has, you know, yet to be explored. Sure. Well, and as you're talking, one thing that came to my mind too is, 
we tend to think of the opposite of sad as happy. And yet we're not necessarily listening to the sad music to become happy. It can be resolved by, you mentioned homeostasis, and I'm thinking of the word satisfaction. I mean, there can be a certain satisfaction and fully immersing ourselves in those sad emotions. And almost the music can almost bring that fully immersive experience and some closure to it that brings satisfaction and resolves the sad feelings in that way. Yes, or resolve. It doesn't even have to be satisfaction, right? Mm. It can be resolve. Mm. Um, yeah. And so yeah, that's where I, I think sometimes it's can be easy to conflate a negative emotion as something that's bad. Mm hmm. It may not feel good, literally, right? Yes. It may not feel good, but really no emotion is bad. All emotions that, well, that's what makes us human, uh-huh. right? Is the different and the kind of really beautiful diversity in the emotional experiences that we can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't even know that. I mean, I, I think with any emotion, the opposite of that emotion is the, you know, the lack of emotion, not mm. necessarily a different emotional state. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you look at how and why emotions evolve from an evolutionary perspective. And uh, a, a mo- kind of one of the theories about that is that they evolved to help us kind of react quickly to important things in the environment. Mm. So there is kind of a survival mechanism to that. You know, relatedly, part of emotion also involves connection with other people and the emotions associated with that. Mm -hmm. And certainly we need to rely on other people. We need to be bonded with them and we need to work together as a, you know, as a pair, as a unit, as a community in order to survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so emotions kind of have a a couple of functions. One is about, you know, helping us be attuned to what's in the environment and to react quickly if needed, but also to help kind of be a kind of social lubricant and a a point of connection with other people and a a way to be cohesive. And you Mm -hmm. look at music and particularly in that, that latter piece and, uh, music can serve a similar function, right? Of bringing together a group of people. And again, now tying it back to emotions, bringing together a group of people in a shared emotional state, mm. regardless of what that emotion is. And it certainly can, uh, can be sad. How interesting. I had not thought of it like that before. Well, and that makes me think of teen- teenagers and adolescents. I think they seem to have a really good grasp of the concept that music can help with emotions. I know I first heard the term emo music <laughs> from my yeah. te- as being a parent <laughs> of a teenager. And yep. I, as soon as she said that phrase, I knew exactly what she was talking about, but I had never heard it used before. And I think teenagers and adolescents do tend to make use of music in this way, probably a lot more than we as adults do. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yes. <laughs> You're <laughs> you also know, a parent I, of teens. <laughs> I, I exactly, yes. I, I also, um, you know, have two, one teenager, one preteen who has been acting like a teenager for six years. Um, <laughs> oh, good luck, mom. <laughs> I know. Oh, but you know, you're, you're right. And, and, um, 
Oh, yeah. You, you, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, all those cartoons or TV shows where what's the teenager doing, but they're locking themselves in their room and, and blasting the yeah. music because they're so angry at the, the world. Yeah. Um, or they're so happy or they're so excited because really you would, when you're in adolescence, you have all of these hormones surging through you because that's what happens biologically. And mm-hmm your emotional experiences are kind of enhanced and in overdrive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that does make me wonder, you know, uh, does that bring a, you know, I don't want to say a different level of affinity. I mean, certainly there is an an affinity for music. and, And maybe, again, we're talking about how music can kind of hold this emotional space or it can make it more intense or it can help to extend it. And, and so adolescents may kind of naturally gravitate towards that. Think about what else is happening in adolescence. Uh, We're starting to come into our own to figure out who we are, what group or groups do we identify with? Mm -hmm. Um, How do we perceive ourselves and how do we want others to perceive us? And one of the ways that that is both felt and expressed is through the musical choices we make, mm-hmm. right? And and you look at social groups around adolescence, and you know many of them will, and you may recognize this in your own children. Um, I certainly do in mine. They kind of listen to similar music, and they bond over music, and it's yeah. a way that they connect with each other. Yeah, interesting. This is Bob Bender, host of the Business Side of Music podcast. Check out our show where we talk about all things related to the music industry. We laugh, we share memories, we discuss what's worked and what didn't work. Our industry is always evolving and can never be locked inside a box. From the rookie fresh off the bus to the well-seasoned professional wondering which new direction to take their career, our show covers all the bases. Join us as we chase this elusive animal we like to call the music industry. Check us out at businesssideofmusic.com. This is a quick break for our sponsor, Rollflex. If you're a regular listener of this show, you've probably heard me talk about my Rollflex Pro. It played a significant role in healing my repetitive use injuries, and I have continued to use it every day for years, both to prevent injuries and because it feels so good. The Rollflex Pro is a foam roller tool with clam-shaped arms that provide leverage to adjust the pressure to whatever you like or can tolerate. I use it mainly on my arms and in the neck shoulder area, but it can be used on any body part because of how it's designed. I highly recommend it. As I mentioned, I've been using the Rollflex daily for years and recently signed up as an affiliate. So you can help support the show at no extra cost to you by purchasing through my link in the show notes. The Rollflex is eligible for reimbursement from flexible spending accounts and HSAs. It's also eligible for medical insurance reimbursement in certain situations. More information is on the Rollflex website. Mm-hmm. I read about a phenomenon called depressive realism. And the idea is that when we're sad, we tend to see life more clearly, we're less biased, we remember details better. And one study actually found that when we listen to sad music, we evaluate ourselves and the world more accurately. And I had never heard of this, but it made sense to me because I can remember times of being really down and listening to the sad music and feeling like I was getting real clarity somehow in that moment. Can you talk to us at all about that phenomenon of depressive realism? 
Um, I don't know how much I can because I've never heard of it. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah, that was uh, my first time hearing about okay. this, but it's a, it's an interesting an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, I but I just I have not heard of that particular term, so thank you for introducing no, me to it. Sure. Well, I just heard about it recently, so it'd be interesting to dig into it more. Uh-huh. In, in your role as associate editor of communications for the Journal of Music Therapy, you're involved in online dissemination of the latest music therapy research. Are there any especially interesting study results or trends that you've seen lately? There are. And you know, what What continues to kind of fascinate me about, because I, you know, I've been involved in music therapy research for, for now quite a while, many years, and I'm noticing kind of this increased sophistication in the quality and the type of the research that's that's emerging from the field. Um, and I want to highlight a couple of things. One is is loosely related to uh, so to the topic of, of this particular episode. And um, over the summer, there was an article that came out. And I guess I should, I'm actually going to back up a bit and preface it by saying, you know, as a music therapist, we have spent the vast majority of our 60 plus year history defending the benefits of music therapy. How is this going to help people? How is music therapy advantageous? Mm -hmm. How can it help individuals of all ages and ability levels in their quality of life and in their well-being? Mm -hmm. Um, What we haven't spent a whole lot of time dissecting, though, is kind of the underbelly of that, because music is not always good, Right. There can be, you know, there can be instances when music can actually cause harm. Mm. So it's something that as a field, we're uh, beginning to revisit a bit more. And and in fact, not revisit, but I I would even say visit a little more seriously. People have been talking about it for the past 10, 20 years, but not many. And we're starting to talk about it more, which I think is a, a really important conversation to have. Mm. So over the the, uh, summer, so this would be in summer 2020, um, there was an article that came out in the Journal of Music Therapy that kind of created this theoretical model of music-induced harm Mm. and describing kind of the different ways theoretically that harm may happen in in a musical type of context. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That sounds like yeah. an episode waiting to happen. It kind of does. <laughs> another it? another podcast episode. Yeah. There you go. And, well, and so um, that was one. And and I I blogged about it too um, on Psychology Today. So um, I'm happy to share that link for the yes, show. Yes. Yes. Well, and I'll, yeah. I'll definitely mm-hmm. put a link to your blog, your musical self. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's found online at Psychology Today. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that. You also manage the long running music therapy maven blog. So I'll put links in the show notes to that. Oh, wonderful. Well, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or a story you can share with us today? I would like to share one. And so I am a musician. Uh, My husband is a musician. He's a music educator and a band director. And of course, you know, music is important to us. We started our kids in music early. And so what I started when my, so my children are 12 and 14 now, and I guess about 11 years ago. So when my daughter was one and a half and my son was three and a half, 
I decided, hey, I do a lot of songwriting as part of my practice. So I'm going to, you know, for our annual holiday letter, I'm going to write a song. And I involved the kids and kind of ended up creating this, you know, music video. Well, the idea stuck. Family loved it. And so I did it again the next year. And I did it again the next year. And each year I'm involving the kids in different ways and different ways. Um, and so this past year, I'd like to share it. And maybe again, I can include the the link. Uh-huh. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, the, these songs, the, the actual song we use is inspired by the children. Uh, so, for example, when the year that Taylor Swift's Shake It Off uh-huh. was big, my children were both in elementary school. They both know, knew that song. They both loved that song. And so we built a, you know, our whole video was a <laughs> rewrite of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. <laughs> well, this year we ended up doing um, uh, the 12 Days of Christmas. And the ending refrain, refrain was instead of a partridge in a pear tree, we were talking about how we were living um, in a pandemic with a puppy in celebration <laughs> of our now a one and a half year old puppy Cosmo. And so I'll include a, a link to I, I have a playlist of all I guess we have 12 years worth of songs now. Oh. And so we watch it every year and watch our children grow up and oh. kind of relive where we were at that time in in our lives. What an awesome idea. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so creative. In this broad year of COVID, our family still believes all black lives matter. Before closing out this episode, I just wanted to share a story with you that I came across this week. I'm a member of several professional Facebook groups, and on one of them this week, I read about an experience that to me is the perfect example of enhancing life with music in action. I reached out to the person who shared this experience to see if she would be willing to share it with you, and she is. I have Angie with me on the phone today. Angie, thank you so much for all you do to enhance lives with music and for being willing to share your experience with us today. Sure. Sure. My pleasure, Mindy. Thank you. Yeah. Well, first of all, you are a fellow music teacher. Tell us what kind of music you teach and where you teach. Yes, sure. Um, So generally, I mean, I just, I don't know, I guess your basic piano teacher. Um, I've been teaching for uh, about 16 years out of my home. Um, most of that was in Colorado, but um, most recently um, we just moved from England and from England to Ohio. And so we're just outside of Dayton. And um, so I'm still teaching my students um, from England online because we went into lockdown in England. Um, I started to teach my students um, online through Zoom. And then when we moved this past August, um, and so I've just continued to teach online, uh-huh. um, my students in England, and then a couple of new students here in Ohio. So that's been um, my experience um, for just 
teaching piano. Sure. Great. Um, well, that's sort then, of the silver lining of yeah. COVID is it has in a way opened yeah. up some opportunities for, Yeah. You know, I mean, a, a year and a half ago, you, who would have thought that you would be living in Ohio and teaching piano students in England? Right. <laughs> well, explain to listeners the experience that you shared with our Piano Teachers Central Facebook group sure. a couple days ago. Sure. So uh, it was last week um, that I actually kind of put myself on a mission to go and find a vaccine for myself and for my husband. And so I actually joined a Facebook group called Ohio Vaccine Hunters. And so I had found out that there were openings at the Dayton Convention Center. And so I booked an appointment and an hour later I was there getting my first vaccine. And I left there and that was kind of the end of it. Until that evening, I came home and my husband said, did you see that video today about Yo-Yo Ma um, playing his cello at his uh, vaccine um, center? And some people didn't even realize it was him. And I said, oh, no, I missed that. So I watched it. Wow, that guy's kind of good. That's amazing. (laughs) Right, right. I I thought, too. And that set off a light bulb in your head. It did. I was, all I could think was, oh gosh, I wish I could do something like that, you know, um, but my, my instrument's just not as portable, but (laughs) I didn't think, I didn't think in the realm of keyboard or anything of that nature, but I actually went back to this Ohio vaccine hunters page and um, explained what I was intending to do. And it just so happened that a lady the Dayton Convention Center took a photo and she said, I'm here right now. And there's a piano right here waiting to be played. And I thought, okay, that's it. That is, I am going to go. Well, I tried several times to call. Well, of course, I mean, they're crazy busy. Mm -hmm. And I, I got the convention center to return my call. And he said, it's fine with me. You just need to get with one of the vaccine coordinators. Well, that was near impossible. (laughs) So on Tuesday, I finally just decided I'm just going to go because what's the worst? They're going to just say, no, thank you. And I'll just come home. Uh So I went and I received an overwhelming response. I mean, if they could have hugged me, they probably would have (laughs) because they said, yes, absolutely. Let's just get you set up and and go. And so after clearing it with two or three people, I went over and I just started to play. And it was amazing. So many people came up to me and just said, thank you so much. This is wonderful. I felt so relaxed. And that was my goal. I just wanted people to relax. Uh And today I returned and it was just as amazing. More people came up to me. And in fact, I went intentionally today because one lady asked me um, specifically, she said, I don't know if you'll be there Thursday, but i I'm really having severe anxiety. I'm bringing my 77-year-old mother. And so I rearranged my piano schedule. And um, I went today and we met. And I played um, You'll Never Walk Alone. I asked her if she had a song that she liked. And I'm not the best at at improv or anything. So I had prepared it in advance. I I had it ready for today. And we all just cried, Aww. and it was just so wonderful. And we took pictures, and it was great. <laughs> um, and if 
That wasn't enough, Mindy. I couldn't believe it. Today, another man came up to me, and he was—he just came over to thank me, and then he was just chatting about music, and then he said, do you know the song Last Date by Floyd Kramer? And I said, oh, goodness, no, I'm so sorry. I do know Floyd Kramer. I said, I listened to him as a little girl, but I said, I don't know that. And he, he kind of did a little tune, you know, he kind of tried to uh, recreate it. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, if I had the music, I absolutely would play it for you. Uh-huh. Well, he turned and walked away. He, you know, thanked me again, turned and walked away. I turned the page in the book I had been playing out of, and there it was. Oh, no way. Last date. <laughs> and I didn't even know I had it. And so I'd never played it in my life. I played it. And by this time, he was across the room, and he turned around, Aww. and he just gave a huge thumbs up. And he said, that's it. He hollered Aww. out. And I thought, I'm going to cry again. This is crazy. <laughs> so anyway, it was just an amazing um, a thing to be a part of. And I'm absolutely going to just keep going until I don't need to go anymore, I guess. I don't uh-huh. know. I just feel called to do it and share this gift. It's just incredible. Oh, well, I just love that. I had goosebumps and tears as you were talking. That story is <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, like I said, just the was... epitome of enhancing lives with music in action. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Angie, thank you yeah. so much for taking action in this way and for sharing that experience yeah. with us. Keep it up, and I hope My we can pleasure. inspire some other musicians to do something similar. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Mindy. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much to both of our guests today, Kimberly and Angie. I would love to hear your examples of how music has enhanced your life. You can connect with me on email, social media, or my website. All links are in today's show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 88. You can quickly access that page by clicking the link in the episode details right in your podcast app. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.